0: Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. In this episode, I spoke with Nick Ward of Chuni and Panicky Advisors about the different value propositions of Bitcoin. Nick's been on the podcast before to discuss Bitcoin, and if you'd like to know more about cryptocurrency in general, I've included the link to that episode titled Bitcoin 101 in our show notes. But for this episode, Nick and I discussed what you can do with Bitcoin today, how Wikileaks has impacted cryptocurrency, the unique perspective that finance professionals have on it, and much more. I first asked Nick if someone is interested in purchasing Bitcoin, how they should get started
1: you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with Bitcoin. uh, And, you know, what you're going to do with it and what I'm going to tell that person depends, you know, obviously on their situation. Um, But with that, you know, we can go down the line of kind of what can you do with this technology today. And, you know, there's a great quote um, by, I think it's Arthur C. Clarke, who was like a science fiction writer, but it's "Any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And there's a famous Bitcoin Reddit post back from like 2010, and it was just this crude drawing of a wizard and it said magic internet money. And they, I think they posted it in the Wall Street Journal and it garnered all this attention. But when you start to explain Bitcoin to people, they really have this, it's difficult to grasp the idea because the question becomes, you know, how can all this exist? It, It seems just how can you poof currencies into thin air? How can you do this without a company, without a central company running anything? Um, so I, I like that quote a lot uh, when I'm kind of thinking about Bitcoin and any, any new technology really is that, you know, if it's good, it's going to seem like it's magic, but you can get under the hood. And obviously, we did that kind of on our Bitcoin 101 podcast where we tried to talk about technically how things worked and how the, the uh, software and network Um, you know, operates under the hood and how these things actually work and and can exist. But with that, you know, today we'll just talk about what can you do with it and and why some of these things have value. So, you know, the very first one is that you can send value or Bitcoins to anyone in the world without involving a third party. So, you know, pre-COVID, we've all been experiencing the digitization of almost everything with the internet um, it started with maybe email being the first real application used, and now it's impacted um, content creation and entertainment. Where you know we no longer get, um, you know, let's say a, a record recording artist, we don't get their songs via the radio, what they're playing. We we get it directly from them uh, through several different mediums. But these artists can can work directly and get their their um, content directly to their consumer base and. And, you know, you don't need that big record label radio company necessarily in between any longer. So as things became digitized, you know, one of the big issues was we're going to need a money for this digital age. And how can we send money across the Internet and, and do it efficiently? And, you know, up until the invention of Bitcoin, you always needed a third party. And one of the things Bitcoin is and I think helps kind of conceptualize this is Bitcoin is both a payment network and a currency. So think about traditional markets you have your you have your you know your dollars and you use um, that's your currency and then you use a payment network like paypal or visa or venmo to then use those dollars and send them uh, to or spend them however you want or see fit Um, so you've got a couple parties at play there where the payment network is going to report back to the bank uh, with your activity the bank's obviously monitoring your balances so there's all these separate ledgers everywhere that are keeping track of everything. Um, so Bitcoin takes that network and currency and it puts it all in one. So there's no longer um, you know, several ledgers keeping track, it's one ledger that anyone can use. Um, you know, we've seen, so that, that ability to send without a third party is gonna have value to some people and especially when you're transacting on the internet where you may be working with a freelancer who's halfway across the world who Knows what kind of banks they have access to, if any. Um, so, you know, you may not have been able to work with them in the past, but now you can with Bitcoin. Um, and something I'll throw out just because I think it's fun to, to watch is, uh, and I mentioned this on the 101 podcast at the time. So, here we are, you know, a few years later. Uh, I like to watch these large Bitcoin transactions get sent. So, you know, everything on the ledger is transparent, you can see it. So, I'll get these notifications with these big transactions. and you know, in April, someone sent 161,000 Bitcoin and they paid, so that was $1.1 $1. $1 billion of value at the time, and they paid a fee of 68 cents. And that's, you know, that's pretty amazing to to think about how you'd go about sending 1.1 $1. $1 billions in our traditional uh, markets versus being able to send that with Bitcoin, really only having two parties involved and doing it for a fee like that. So that's kind of the first way you can use it, is you can buy it and, and use it to transact with people or, or buy goods over the internet.
0: And are you finding, you talked about, you know, like the benefit of, of using that and in, in, um, transacting with people. Are you still hearing a lot of people kind of nervous, like not very trustworthy of it?
1: Well, yeah, yes, and no. You still get a lot of those beginner questions. People are trying to understand this. So I think there is definitely the majority of users are using Bitcoin, you know, and and a little wary of how it works. Um, But with any new technology, the user interface, which is like the usability of it only gets better over time. And I think that's been proven almost with everything. And I think the internet's the best example of the internet existed for 20-25 years um, before really it, it it got going in the mainstream, and part of the reason was when you pulled up a website, it was like, you know, a page of code, so it wasn't user friendly. If you weren't a computer scientist, you really couldn't make sense of it. Um, Bitcoin's really the same thing. You know, we had even when I started getting into this in you know early 2017, you you had a couple of exchanges that were more Uh, maybe had a better reputation, but none of them were FDIC insured. None of them, you know, got SOC audits done, Um, you know, all that kind of happened over the last few years. So I think at that level, you start to build trust and you see that evolution happening. Uh, And then from the standpoint of users, you know, part of what one of my next points will be is about custodying your own assets with Bitcoin. But those, those wallets, these digital wallets you need to get and use um, were a little a little complicated, a little technical over the last years. But, you know, what we've seen develop now are there's companies chasing, you know, that more user-friendly wallet where they're simply saying, seeing how much Bitcoin they have, uh, and they're seeing how to send it. And then if they want to custody it themselves, you know, there's private key managers, which again, uh, we don't want to get too technical on this podcast, but uh, what allows users to hold their own Bitcoin is the technology basically has a private key assigned to the coin on the network. And that private key is just like the user's password. Um, so that allows them to send it and, and transfer ownership. So all those things continue to develop and get, get more user friendly. And I do think you know the longer out we get, uh, you get the testament of time. So people are sometimes shocked when I tell them that you know the Bitcoin network's been up and running since 2009. Uh, or that any time you've read a headline of Bitcoin got hacked, that that wasn't Bitcoin's network getting hacked. That was a third party who purchased Bitcoin and maybe were holding them on behalf of customers that got hacked. So these these security holes weren't on the network itself. And with each year we get further on and I can say, you know, 10 years it hasn't been hacked, 11 years, 12 years. I think that'll help to bring down that kind of concern.
0: Definitely. And I think I would agree with you. Um especially when you mentioned 2009, that already sounds like a while ago. And you think, wow, like, especially for people who have maybe really like only known about Bitcoin within the past couple of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about and think back to maybe, you know, I was thinking back to what was I doing then? I was in college freshman year of college or sophomore year of college and, uh, you know, I had no idea it even existed. So
0: and when you say for Bitcoin, having a custody of your own assets, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so and I think that's the next kind of point I want to con- uh, point to as a point of value, is this ability to custody your own assets. And so what Bitcoin did was it gave the world its first truly ownable digital asset. So. You know, again, I'll use other technologies that uh, we use on the internet as the example. So email, for instance, when you send an email, uh, as soon as you send it, your computer uh, most likely withholds a copy. The server of the service you're using is going to withhold a copy and then pass it to another server. And then that's going to eventually end up uh, with the person you're sending it to. But there's copies all along the way. Uh, if you purchase a song on iTunes or when we used to purchase songs on iTunes, uh, you you got a copy of an mp3 file you didn't ever you weren't able to just have the one sole copy and then transfer that sole copy digitally to someone else uh, without um you know retaining another copy of it so through bitcoin's technology you're able to do that these all your bitcoins are truly ownable by you through the private key system so if someone purchases a bitcoin on an exchange and they own you know they have an account on the exchange just like they're used to seeing on Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade and the exchange holds their bitcoin the exchange if it's a good one in my opinion allows should allow the user to then send that bitcoin to their own personal wallet if they want to so what that means is the exchange is going to give you your private keys of the bitcoin you purchased and then you are going to own them and they no longer will be shown in your exchange account and you won't be able to go back to the exchange to get them so one of the things that does is it puts a lot of responsibility on the individual, which can make people a little nervous. You know, if I lose the private keys of the Bitcoin I have custody of, that Bitcoin is lost forever. There's no retrieval function. You can't call anybody. So it's it's very important to understand uh, the responsibility you're taking on. But at the same time, you know, we've had examples of throughout history of, you know, certain financial runs, uh, runs on banks or depressions that you couldn't go get the money that you earned and was yours, but trusted someone else to, to hold for you. And I think that's a, a big deal to people. And especially in this digital age and with COVID, things going remote, you know, the ability to have access to your funds, I think is going to be a bigger deal to people than maybe some assume, you know, we've been lucky in the U.S. that we've, for the most part, had strong financial institutions we can trust, but you know, there's countries with whether they're dictatorship regimes or just corrupt governments. But there's, you know, you can find scour Google for story after story of, you know, people's funds literally just being stolen out of their bank account, or the banks go under and there there's no bailout to make them whole. So this idea of being able to hold your own assets is a is a is in a a, a value add in my opinion. Um, and I'll use. You know, kind of greece in 2008 you know not that much well, not that far in the past uh where you had we watched a, a run on banks happen and you know citizens couldn't take out more than like 60 euros a day at their atms i read a stat once that two-thirds of the atms had no funds available so that seems like a, an ancient problem but we we saw it happen you know just a decade ago so this ability to custody your own funds and, and truly trust that you own them, I think, is a big deal. And then, the other piece of this custody, which is is really cool, and especially as an auditor, um, this was one of the kind of early light bulb moments uh, for me. Hearing about Bitcoin, you know, really again for the third, fourth time before I decided to to dive into it was this notion that I could audit the chain, you know, really myself, and so again without getting too technical the, the Bitcoin software you can run it on your own computer as an individual and if you understand the software and again I imagine products will be coming out that'll help the usability of this for someone who maybe isn't as technical but you can audit the bitcoins blockchain yourself to prove you know you're the owner of the Bitcoin you have you're the only owner and the supply of the network so you know one of the things we got into on Bitcoin 101 is the 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 fact that Bitcoin will only ever have 21 million coins in existence. Um, so, I don't want to get into the implications of that just yet on the value. But to an individual, I can prove to myself that that is true and being followed at any point I want to. Uh, you know, I could do it tonight. I could do it tomorrow. Uh, typically, your when you send a Bitcoin transaction, your uh, your software is going to do that as part of the transaction process. So, I think that's a a really awesome uh, innovation of bitcoin a value add uh, and if you use it you know you could do the two real world exam other real world examples uh, prior to bitcoin were were gold uh, when gold was valuable what well, still is valuable but when gold was used more frequently you know you'd have to mint the gold to prove it was real or, and that's what people would do and to do that you had to find either an expert that could do it or someone who had the equipment to uh looking at today you know there's Kind of fake gold where they'll take real gold but the center of it will be filled with a cheaper metal or something so it's really hard to distinguish and so you know you need other parties to kind of prove what you have uh, which can be costly and time consuming so uh, and then uh, you know in terms of the US dollar we're, we're kind of watching that unfold with COVID recently and even before that this last 20-25 years where the money supply, the Federal Reserve and Congress have kind of printed money and increased the supply. And we've watched how that impacts inflation and, and markets in general. And you know, the, I'm not trying to conclude on what that does, but the, the math and any kind of economists listening would agree that if you increase the money supply, you're gonna have some inflation. So some people feel that's an issue and it'd be better to have a harder money system. So Bitcoins kind of offers that and then takes it a step further and allows the users to audit that network to prove it's still following that uh, monetary policy it, it said, you know, they agreed to when they started transacting with it.
0: And how would you say that people who, you know, have accounting, finance backgrounds, how are they kind of uniquely positioned um, to, to work with Bitcoin, to maybe serve clients who are interested in Bitcoin?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. You know, and one of the, one thing I'll say is with the uniquely positioned to kind of understand how this is going to be a benefit is, and it's, it, I point to myself with that notion of, well, this, le- only having one ledger. Um, so the network keeps track of every Bitcoin, where it's sent, where it's going. So if I have two parties, you know, a client and their vendor are using Bitcoin uh, I'm able to view that and see who has the balances where they are uh, and that's kind of a big deal of, a big audit step of you know we've seen we've seen issues where companies you know they don't go through the step of maybe uh, confirming a bank account and that ends up being a big deal where they miss fraud and funds are stolen um so it it adds the ability to really audit some of these to audit an asset directly um, and be confident it's correct, which I think is great. Um, from the other avenue, you know, and it's a tough one because it's talking about this, about Bitcoin or blockchain technologies, you know, on a broader scale. It's always uh, the good questions we get are like, how does this impact me today? Um, so for accountants working with their clients, you know, there's not a necessarily a direct impact. It's still, it's still a bit of speculation in terms of do you need to buy it and hold it as part of your portfolio? You know, that's something you need to talk to your financial advisors about, but the realization is is that time has shown these Bitcoin is not going anywhere. You know, I think uh, we were talking offline in the podcast about the macro level and and other industries and financial institutions that are making uh, some more public plays with Bitcoin in terms of whether it's, uh, adding, you know, Bitcoin to their treasuries. Um, certain Fidelity just announced they're going to offer uh, cash loans on Bitcoin as collateral. So uh, your clients are going to eventually have exposure to this. So it, it's better to start to understand it now, and so when the time comes, you're you're prepared to discuss it. You understand uh, right away what the accounting implications are, and specifically the tax implications. I, I think. A lot of people because it was kind of this niche technology uh, didn't expect to see it and then all of a sudden their client shows up and they have transactions and they're not sure what to do with them and it can be a little more difficult to piece together if you haven't been working together for most of the time which was definitely something we learned when we first launched our our services and we're, we're getting new clients that maybe had been trading a while and not realizing they owe taxes so You know, with any technology, I think, especially as advisors and CPAs are often advisors on top of maybe that audit and tax prep function, uh, is understanding that we're in a world now that can change quickly, and uh, so these new technologies are something we need to pay attention to. And on the Bitcoin front and cryptocurrencies in general, uh, I think people were waiting, thinking these wouldn't be lasting, but uh, hopefully, after listening to this today and some further research, you'll see that these aren't maybe going anywhere, and most likely will be touching all our clients' lives in some way, so.
0: And censorship can also be a concern with cryptocurrency. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Another another point of value with Bitcoin, you know, we talked about being able to send uh, funds without involving a third party. And so what that means, part of that, one of the most important principles of Bitcoin, in my opinion, are that it is a permissionless technology. Uh, So that means from logging on to use it to actually using it, no one is saying, giving you permission to log on. There's no KYC, no, your customer background check on you. If you have an internet connection, whether it be from a cheap mobile phone or, you know, a nice computer, you can get on and get connected to the network. And so the first piece of value that adds is I think the world banks, they do, they do studies every year and they try to pin, you know, what the population of people the unbanked population is, and that just means people that don't have access to traditional bank accounts that are linked up with you know our central banking global central banking system. Um, and I think I saw something recently that somewhere around two point two billion people were that was the number in one of the recent studies, which is a big deal. And so this idea of a technology uh, being able to give them access to the financial world is a, is is awesome and, and a big point of value. Um, I think people often think that if you're in maybe a third world country or impoverished, that you don't have the access to technology. But mobile phones now are cheap enough that most people have them. I think India is kind of the point a lot of others uh, look at to say, you know, this nation maybe has a large population that's impoverished, but almost everyone in that population has a mobile phone because that technology has now become so efficient and cheap that it it can they can have that. So. I think that's an awesome point of value for it. And then taking it a step further, being able to transact without censorship. So not, you know, Bitcoin, when you're sending funds, it only makes sure you're following the rules of the network. It doesn't care if you're buying something illegal or maybe donating to a political party. It doesn't agree with it. No one on that network, no miner, no part of it will, or is able to block a transaction. And that sounds like something, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm not a criminal, why would I care about that? But when you start to step back and look at the way the world's moving, we're becoming more digital, you, you see that that is a big deal and privacy and spending and being able to spend your dollars and where you want uh, is uh, kind of just a fundamental right I think people should have and, and will want. And so, you know, currently when you spend cash, that's really the only anonymous way you're ever purchasing anything or, or doing a... Transaction where no one could really block it in real time if both parties agree, Um, but when you're using you know ACH transfers, wires, or credit cards, those networks can can block transactions they they see as uh, maybe unsavory or illegal, whatever the case may be. Uh, And so in 2010s we saw this happen you know in real time with WikiLeaks. So WikiLeaks and again I'm not regardless of what you think of them and what they do, uh, the govern the United States government uh, issued a restriction on funds for WikiLeaks. So they went to Bank of America, Visa, MasterCard, major credit card companies, and the other banks and said, we don't want you doing business with WikiLeaks, freeze their accounts, cut off their funds, and, and it happened. So WikiLeaks at the time, their only other option was they started accepting Bitcoin. And this was in 2010 and the creator of Bitcoin was still active on the um these internet forums he would communicate on. And he there's actually a famous conversation with him to some of the developers about it thinking Bitcoin wasn't ready for kind of the attention and even the volume of transactions that something like WikiLeaks announcing they're accepting it could bring. And so, you know, obviously, WikiLeaks was able to accept it, the Bitcoin network handled it and did fine. Um, But uh, it, it just showed kind of the real world use case of well, it's censorship resistant, no one can block a transaction. Uh, and here it is being proven. WikiLeaks used it. And I think, you know, again, regardless of what you think of them or what they do or the the creator, Julian Assange, uh, but they accepted it and they've, they've published, you know, how much they've gained on that happening, really. Like, you know, they were able to accept Bitcoin. They got a decent amount of donations and, you know, held Bitcoin over time. Again, from 2010, I, the price was probably under a dollar still at that point. So... Uh, And now we're sitting at about 20K. So, you know, a good investment (laughs) for them that that happened. But the the larger point I'm making simply is that as we move to a more digital age and we're transacting on platforms that can maybe block transactions or payments, you know, that ability to send um, without that worry is going to be of value to people. And and even regardless of being worried about someone censoring a transaction because of what it's for, um, but you know, being able to send 24 seven and not being concerned uh, that maybe the bank isn't open so you can't go get your wire transfer done or uh, there's an issue with the ACH and now you've got to call and figure that out. So I think that's another big point of value that the, the network offers.
0: If someone's listening to this and they haven't done a ton of other research, looked a lot of other places yet, where would you suggest that they get started?
1: So, you know, I'm a big, if anyone's seen any of our talks, I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin being the starting place because any of the technologies that kind of come off, especially blockchain, we hear that term a lot. Uh, they all spawned off of Bitcoin and it, it doesn't mean that Bitcoin will be the only one per se. I think there's going to be lots of cryptocurrencies, tokens, all these, these this whole decentralized world will be built on uh, these technologies. So it won't be one, you know, one to win out. Uh, which I think is often kind of a, a misguided approach to the space. Because I'm getting into it, you'll see there's tons of, you know, thousands of crypto coins out there. And of course, most will most likely not come to any significant fruition. But, um, you know, the point is, I think, to start there because it'll really help you understand how a truly decentralized technology like this works. And then you can see the differences from there where people have maybe tweaked this code of bitcoin this idea to uh, be more practical in terms of you know having a central company in charge you could maybe dispute transactions um you know starting with bitcoin is the point and really that's one of the great things about the space is there's so much content out there when i got into this that was something i really wanted to understand technically how it worked because i I conceptually kind of saw these points of where there could be value, but I, again, going back to that quote about, you know, sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable from magic, I just thought, well, there's gotta be a flaw here. I gotta find, you know, I'm gonna find the hole that maybe the person who introduced this to me is missing. Um, So, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos is a a computer scientist, authored several books in this space, someone I've, he's got talks on YouTube that I think are phenomenal, both uh, all the way to the most advanced Uh, developer to a beginner coming from an accounting background like myself Uh, he was someone I uh, read a lot of Pamela Morgan uh, as another name because she does a lot of she was a lawyer and does a lot of like crypto asset inheritance planning things like that and she was someone I got a book on a book that she authored early on and I thought was great so uh, some other names I'll just throw out Jameson Lopp, uh, Vitalik Buterin, Pierre Rochard, um, there, there's numerous people in the space that have a lot of content out there a lot of it is free uh, and you can find it and, and learn so I highly and if you're interested in the topic you'll find some good research and you know you'll also find people trying to sell you the next big token or the next Bitcoin <laughs> so so be wary on that front as well but um, yeah there's lots of spaces to to kind of find that value
0: Thank you to Nick for taking the time to speak with us more about the different value propositions of Bitcoin. So what do you think of the episode? You can always let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening.